was going kind to of put this together. He, he wanted to put out a, um, a four CD uh, best of, of Ted Chippington, and he got in touch with me and said, How can we pay for it? So uh, that's what this night's for to uh, cover the manufacturing costs of Ted's four CD best of. And uh, any other profits will go to the promoter, Darren Martin, who's got it on. He's had a bad couple of years. Um, his clubs are under pressure, and uh, a lot of his best tax are leaving him. So, um, <laughs> so it was a bit But um, thanks everyone for, uh, for coming out. There's um, lots of different kinds of acts on tonight, and a lot of the people um, uh, asked them if they would do uh, routines that they did. 20 years ago, when as young people we were all under the spell of Ted, and um, uh, and then other, other people are too young uh, to have done that, and you'll um, you realise. Now, the um, I'm Stuart Lee, and uh, later on uh, I'll be with uh, Richard Herring from the Lee and Herring Double Act, <laughs> where we will attempt to crank in as many of the forgotten catchphrases <laughs> as we can into the seven minute. Routine like kind of jive bunny <laughs> of your adolescence. Uh, yes, that will be there. Um, yes, now you can imagine how much I'm looking forward to. <laughs> now, uh, the first act on tonight, about when I first came to London, started doing stand up in 1989. I did play the comedy store for about six months, but, the, uh, uh, but in the early 1990s, Kim Kinney, who ran the comedy store then, said to me, I would book you more, but you remind me of my least favourite act on the circuit, the act that I consider to be the worst act on the circuit. And that act was actually my favourite act at the time, so I stopped uh, bothering about the comedy store. Um, and that act is here tonight uh, on stage for the first time in 17 years, doing the exact act he did. Uh, in 1989, but with two lines changed. Uh, will you please welcome the security guard? Good evening, Grand Security Guard. I have a few security guard jokes for you. How many security guards does it take to change a light bulb? One! We're <laughs> not stupid. Three security guards go into a pub. Nothing happens. That's what we get paid for. steel door with two Yale locks and a reinforced safety chain. Not so funny that one, but extremely secure. <laughs> knock, knock. Just checking. <laughs> Why did the chicken cross the road? I can't tell you. Security. <laughs> What do you get if you cross a security guard? Trouble! <laughs> so don't do it. The wages are low, the hours are long, the risks are immense. 
But that's not what attracted me to the job. It was its sheer pointlessness. <laughs> and the chance to watch 12 televisions at once. <laughs> made me feel like God. <laughs> Social life is good, we have our own club. The Security Guard Club. Used to have a more continental sounding name. Club Security Guard. <laughs> Some people took that a bit too literally. <laughs> Driving along my moped the other day, knocked this woman over. She said, why don't you look where you're going? I said, I was. <laughs> Mother. Now a list of dangerous things. <laughs> Matches. Busy main roads. Very heavy weights suspended above your head by a piece of cotton. <laughs> Doors marked WC that just have a huge drop on the other side. Microwave ovens that sing to you, come put your head inside and turn it on. Scissors which move of their own accord. An attempt to cut your genitals off, if you're male that is, as everybody should be.
best-selling novel of all time. Never in my most controlled dreams did I think that one day Richie Cunningham will be making the Da Vinci Code your favorite. God bless Ron Howard. What a fucking genius. These are indeed happy days. Anyway, enough already about the Da Vinci Code, the best-selling novel of all time, of which I, Dan Brown, am the writer of. What am I doing here? Well, my wife Blythe, she, uh, she thinks I'm hilarious, and I am. And so, I thought I'd try my hand at stand-up comedy. And so I came to London, the stand-up capital of the world, and I took one look around at you Brits, and I thought, these people don't need a best-selling novelist or a stand-up comedian. What they need is a dentist. <laughs> so, I wasn't making much money on the open microphone circuit. But so what? I could buy the open microphone circuit. So uh, what I did, guys, was uh, I wrote a joke book. It's called uh, Dan Brown, The Laughter Code. I came up with the title myself. So uh, here's the first joke that I, Dan Brown, remember, guys, have written. The mysterious chicken crossed the busy inner city road. But why? It was rush hour, and it was pushing 40 degrees. As the weary commuters sat in their air-conditioned mobile prisons, Bob Carter, a security guard from North Dakota, looked at the chicken with apprehension and curiosity. What was he doing on Highway 504 at 1700 hours? He thought of calling John, his overweight high school friend, now a world-famous cryptographer. But there wasn't time. The lights had changed and the gridlock nudged forward like the barrel of a gun in a game of Russian roulette. Bob was 38 and tanned. Bob's offer on Mayo tore towards the chicken, but the lights changed again. He was running out of options fast. The Rhode Island Red Rooster was getting away. Hey! Bob shouted, the desperation furrowing his sunken, sweaty brow. Hey, Rooster! For Christ's sakes! Why are you crossing the road? And as Bob held his breath, the mysterious chicken slowly looked over its muscular shoulder. <laughs> and with narrowing eyes, it replied sinisterly, Ticket to the other side, asshole! <laughs>
that's my wife. <laughs> I find her out most attractive, whilst pregnant and dressed as Dan Brown. <laughs> wrong, then ready the noose. <laughs> Death or by punishment. Um, so, uh, I woke up the other one at uh, 6 o'clock and uh, I went down and answered the door and there was a born man Christian evangelist there and he said to me, Sir, the answer is Jesus, now what is the question? And I said, is the question born in 0 BC? <laughs> inventor of Christianity, which J am I? <laughs> now as I said, we're wheeling back in time tonight uh, for a lot of uh, routines that haven't been seen since Ted was lost trading the boards. And can I just point out, actually, two, a number of inquiries, one from the Sunday Times, one from the Culture Show on BBC Two and uh, a couple of other places, of people that thought that Ted Stock was some kind of weird elaborate hoax to promote someone who wasn't real. But it is. And Ted will be here later. But, um, yeah, great. And so, um, no, it's brilliant. Um, and we can't wait to see what happens. And now, this next act has not been performed since 1988, and it didn't work then. <laughs> and it's right rapidly abandoned it and have not performed it ever since. <laughs> well, the condition of him coming here tonight was that he gave it a go. So will you please welcome, no, it's 1987, wasn't it? With a piece of material not performed for 20 years for good reason. <laughs> Richard Herring. came up with this routine in, uh, in a tent in Wayne uh, when we were 16 years old. And I think it slightly bears <laughs> some of us. Uh, it's, it's quite like Ted Chippenden, as I think you'll see if you know. Two men meet in a pub. Did your wife go on holiday last year? Yes. <laughs> Where did she go to? Jamaica. No, I didn't make her go. She went of her own accord. We have a very modern marriage. I can't, I can't make her do anything. We take an equal share of the washing up duties. Two men meet in the pub. Did your wife go on holiday last year? Yours? Bratislava. 
No, there wasn't a rat in Yugoslavia. <laughs> the local soup dish of the region. Fast. 
She didn't drop a scrabble board on the ground and then read out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, the next act of the song I went on tour with is fantastic. Uh, this is the last act of this half, uh, of this third, then there'll be a 50 minute break, and we will press on into the unknown uh, of future and past. Uh, will you please give a huge round of applause to Stephen Carlin? <laughs> Good evening, Bloomsbury Theatre. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, very nice to be here tonight in this lovely theatre, slightly more auspicious than my first ever performance on stage. That was my stage debut in my school nativity play when I was five years old, and uh, of course, I played the part of Joseph in my school nativity. Uh, Joseph Stalin. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was a bit of a Mennonite on those days. Yeah, so one or two of my classmates died. Uh, needlessly. <laughs> but here we are on uh, Monday night tonight. Let's not dwell on the crimes of Joseph Stalin. <laughs> and a comedy gig at the beginning uh, of a week this evening. I think Monday night keep it nice and light and not beat. That's a, a good tip. So, thoughts to. And uh, cheerio, I'll just kick off by talking instead about hurricanes in America. <laughs> you know, probably like me, you'd be looking forward to the new hurricane season. <laughs> in America, not just for the destruction, of course that does play a factor, but also just to see which names the Americans will use this year. Because the Americans love to name a hurricane, don't they? So, well done to them. Good customer service. <laughs> nice casual touch. We don't bother naming weather systems in Britain. You know, those storms we had a couple of weeks ago, we won't name those, and six months from now, we'll just refer to those as, oh, uh, you remember those high winds? <laughs> that time. <laughs> That's not as good a system, but I think the Americans are going to come a proper with their system of naming hurricanes because inevitably, at some point in the future, the Americans are going to name a hurricane, Hurricane Higgins. <laughs> That's right, inadvertently named it after the two times Embassy World Sticker Champion of the World, Alex Hurricane Higgins. You know, there'll be the reports on CNN saying things like, last night, Hurricane Higgins devastated large parts of downtown Ireland. You know, I'm going to be sitting at home thinking, well, I'm glad to see Alex has got over the throat cancer. <laughs> and he's back to his old tricks again. <laughs> that, that's a nice aspect uh, of American culture, the name Hurricanes. I think the worst aspect of American culture surely has to be America's over-reliance on the superhero. <laughs> Instead of more conventional emergency services. <laughs> uh, a very good example of this, just over a year ago, the fire in a fuel depot in Hemel Hempstead. Budsfield fuel depot fire, largest fire in peacetime Europe, explosion could be heard on the continent. How did we in Britain tackle that place? Well, what we said, we got uh, the fire brigade to put that out using foam. <laughs> Yeah, fairly orthodox. <laughs> now, very similar situation occurred in the film Superman 3. <laughs> when an oil refinery caught fire, how did 
Americans tackle that, ladies and gentlemen. What they did, they got Superman to fly into a lake, freeze that lake with his breath, pick up his one sheet of ice, fly to the refinery with it, and drop it on the fire. Now, I was only seven years old when I saw Superman 3. Even I knew at that age, you don't put water on an oil fire. <laughs> structure. It may be virtually indestructible, but by God, does he like the relevant experience for large-scale firefighting. Superpowers will substitute for good working knowledge of chemistry. I'll be honest with you, that's not the only criticism I've got about the Man of Steel. I've been watching some of the old Christopher Reeve Superman films, not as Superman, Bit of a reactive character. Yeah, not very proactive. <laughs> well, what do I mean by that? Well, Superman waits until things go wrong and then decides to rush to the rescue in a dramatic fashion. Not so interested in the whole preventive side of the emergency business. I mean, my ideal Superman film would be no one in danger, no one in peril, no rescues, just two and a half hours of Superman touring a succession of factories <laughs> handing out health and safety advice. <laughs> and America is a, a nation of massive contradictions. What, what other country could manifest a character like Evil Knievel while simultaneously being able to invent the double-decker bus? <laughs> Fantastic Voyage. Uh, it's a sci-fi B-movie from the 1960s and basically what happens is an American is miniaturised in a little tiny spacecraft injected into the arm of a Russian spy. The idea is that this craft will go all the way up the bloodstream to the Russian brain and find out secret Russian information. Yeah, and I kind of like the naivety of that idea. So you can go into our brain and information is just written down. <laughs> In a readable form. Yes. <laughs> Information is written down on the wall of the brain in English. <laughs> English, as we know, of course, is the international language of thoughts. <laughs> All brains think in English. You know, so it's easy for us in Britain. We think in English, we speak in English. Spare a thought from someone, say, from Spain. For example, they think in English and then have to convert that into Spanish. In order to speak, so it's a lot more difficult for them. And that's why it's so difficult for us in Britain to learn any other foreign language. And why it's so easy for foreigners to learn English. So if you have to see someone from abroad struggling with English, not quite getting it right, don't, don't pander to the laziness. Throw rocks at them. <laughs> but, you know sometimes you meet someone for the first time and you immediately hit it off, you click, you get on like a house on fire, it's like you've known each other for years, and then of course they have to go and ruin it all by denying that the Holocaust ever took place. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. 
similar thing happened to me. So a friend of mine has bought me uh, for a present, for a Christmas present, a framed picture of Adolf Hitler. Yeah. It surprised me too, to be honest with you. you know. Didn't ask for that, I wasn't, wasn't on the wish list. Admittedly, I did ask for a surprise. You know, I can't see where the confusion may have crept in. But uh, I'll tell you this, picture of Hitler, bit of a poison chalice of a present. I mean, I can hardly hang that up on the wall in my lobby. <laughs> the last thing I want is friends coming around saying, well, Steve, I see your politics drifting a bit to the right. <laughs> so you're a big fan of the Fuhrer. Of course, you can't go hey either, can I? Because if somebody were to find a picture of Hitler hidden, <laughs> at the back of my fridge. So, uh, actually, we've been quite a lot of chat lines recently, and uh, yeah, I can get quite lonely in this business. You've probably seen these chat lines advertised late night on Channel 5 saying things like, Our gorgeous girls are ready and waiting to take your call. Call them now. And talk to them about anything you want. <laughs> I mean, stuff will not say it. All right, then. Tell you what, why don't you cast your mind back to the 1982 Embassy World Snooker semi final? <laughs> Jerry White, congrats to Alex Higgins. Now, we all know Higgins won that match, but in your view, who had the better safety game? <laughs> yes, what? Didn't even know. Said, well, obviously not quite as good as you thought you were. And I'll suggest, if you want to make it in the calling business, suggest you learn to discuss a more varied range of topics. <laughs> you pussy. <laughs> Gentlemen, that's all for me. Thank you very much. Good night. So we'll see you back in about 15 minutes. Please give a round of applause to everyone you've seen so far. The Nightingale. It's a beautiful guy.